Yes, Peter Setter, page 440, Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Second readings on page 800. It's uh, Romans 8, starting at verse 28. Page 800. More than conquerors. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. <clears throat> now in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, Neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, let's um, just bow in prayer. Father, help us now to uh, focus on your word. Help us not to be distracted. And we just pray that your Holy Spirit would be working in and through us now and taking the sword of the Spirit, your word, and uh, piercing our hearts and uh, changing us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a, an article in the Guardian newspaper on Christmas Day which had a title which was always going to draw me into wanting to read the article. Absolutely hooked by this title. The title of the article was this, it said, the people who challenged my atheism most were drug addicts and prostitutes. 
Now, would that hook you? Would you want to read that article? Well, I just had to. The author was a fellow by the name of Chris Anade. I think that's how you pronounce his name. And uh, Chris Anade had spent 20 years working in New York City on Wall Street. Uh, armed with a PhD in physics, uh, he lived a life which, where he described himself as being someone who was quick with arguments, uneasy with emotions, comfortable with logic, and able to look at any ideology and expose its inconsistencies. And guess which ideology he particularly loved to uh, critique and expose and pull apart? Uh, Christianity, and particularly the Bible. He was an atheist. Um, these days, people like Chris and Aid have found themselves very comfortable and in very good company. Because I, I, I'm sure you'd agree that over the last five or six years or so that atheists have been very much on the front foot. Have you noticed that? You know, in the public discussion, in the media, in the press and so on. And the charge has been very much led by people like Richard Dawkins and the late Christopher Hitchens, who passed away from cancer. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's had an interesting impact in Australia. A couple of years ago in 2012, uh, remember there was the big global atheist convention that was held in Melbourne. Attracted huge crowds of people. They said it was very much like a Christian convention, just without God and without the Bible and without singing. You know, it had the big names, it had the big auditorium, the, uh, the large numbers of people and so on. And uh, then there was the public bus advertising campaign in, in Britain. Uh, you might remember that, where there was about 800 buses that were plastered with these right across the side of the big double-decker buses, uh, banner advertisements uh, paid for by the Atheist Society, which uh, said simply, there's probably no God, now stop worrying and enjoy your life. And uh, whilst our youth have been doing things like going away on PY summer camps, uh, the atheists in Britain have uh, started up uh, atheist youth camps. So, uh, you know, a bunch of atheist teenagers sitting around the campfire singing John Lennon songs, you know, imagine there's no heaven and no religion too. Um, I, I wonder if you heard this, though, that a couple of months ago, November, uh, some atheists have now started up their first church in Australia. Uh, it's called the Sunday Assembly, and they boast that, quote, it has all the best bits of church, but with no religion, and awesome songs. Now, it's into this kind of culture that intelligent, successful, self-made men and women, people like Chris and Aid have felt very, very much at ease. But the, the, the problem, the, the, the issue is though this, what happens when life doesn't go so well? Uh, what happens when life starts to unravel, when the walls start to crumble around you? What happens then? Or what about people for whom life hasn't been all that great from the very beginning. They've started life behind the eight ball. 
I guess that the message of the atheists is that when we're doing it tough, the only thing we can do is we can turn to ourselves and to each other for help because there is no God to whom we can turn to for help. Now, of course, help is something which we all need at different times in life. Uh, there is great joy in life and the Bible would say to enjoy life, enjoy the good things that God has given us, but you live long enough and you discover that suffering is also an, a normal part of life in a fallen world, whether it's the struggles that we might have with, uh, with, uh, with, with money or the struggles that we might have with health or with relationships or the loss of someone whom we love. Uh, and then, of course, there is the, the biggest struggle of all, and that is the issue of our own mortality. Where do we turn to for help? Now, today, uh, and over the next few weeks, we're just going to be doing some standalone sermons. We're going to be starting a new series a bit later on in January, and when a few more people are back from holidays and so on. But today I'd like to share with you just from a, a very short chapter in the book of Psalms, and it's the psalm which Heather read to us earlier on. You might want to open up your Bibles at uh, Psalm 121 on page 440. And the reason I want to unpack this psalm a little bit today is because, like all of the psalms, uh, although it was written thousands of years ago, when we read this piece of poetry... It, it's as if it was written yesterday because it, it speaks words which resonate with our lives, resonate with our hearts, resonate with our, with our needs, with who we are as people. Not surprising, given that we would say it's been actually written by God. But what we see in the psalm is that there are two things which we share in common with the psalmist, that is, the writer of the psalm. Um, first of all, the obvious thing was that he experienced suffering in his life. And uh, there's no surprises there. That's why he's written the psalm. But secondly, just like us, in the context of suffering, that uh, as he responded to his troubles, he had a variety of different options that were open to him. Now, one of those options was to reject God. Um, atheism. You see, there's nothing new about atheism. Atheism isn't something that's just suddenly arisen in the you know, 19th and 20th and 21st centuries. When the Old Testament was being written, there were people who didn't believe in God. Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart that there is no God. There's nothing new in atheism. And uh, in the midst of suffering, atheism, or just simply rejecting the existence of God, is an option which uh, some people pursue. Um, you know, if, uh, if God exists, then why is he allowing my body to be riddled with this cancer? Therefore, God doesn't exist. It's that kind of option and that's how some people deal with their suffering. Or the psalmist could make up his own God. 
put his trust in something of his own imaginings, create an idol, a block of stone or carve out, chisel out a block of wood and say, this is God and I will make him or it or her or I will make God in my image and put my trust in my own made-up God. Or, in his time of trouble, he could choose to trust in the true God. And so, as we look at verse 1, he asks this question. He says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Now, we don't know what he was going through in his life, but what he's telling us here is that as he looked around, as he searched for help, even as he looked as far as the distant hills, he could not find the help that he needed. But help was on hand because throughout Israel's history, God had revealed himself to them. God had spoken to the descendants of Abraham. God had made promises and they had even seen God very, very much at work. And so with that background, the psalmist remembers two important truths about God. Number one, he says that God is the maker of heaven and earth. Now, uh, that is just very, very important because if God is the one who has created the heavens, if God is the one who has made the earth, then what does that say about God? It says that God is very, very powerful. He's extremely powerful. There is no one more powerful than God. Secondly, the psalmist remembers that God cares for his people. Um, in these eight short verses in this psalm, it, it repetitively, repetitively says that he watches over his people. Um, and here I think he seems to be having a go at some of those people who've made up a God in their own image. Um, it's like, remember Elijah when he challenged the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Remember that story that they built two altars um, and they put uh, a uh, sacrifice on each of the altars and the idea was that you would pray to your God and your God would set the sacrifice on fire. And uh, as much as the prophets of Baal prayed, as much as they danced around their altar, as much as they went into a frenzy and started chanting and slashing, their wrists, slashing themselves and doing all sorts of stuff, uh, what happened? Nothing. And in, in that context, Elijah taunted them. He said, well, you know, keep on going. I mean, um, you know, maybe, maybe your God has he's gone on holidays. He's gone for a trip somewhere. Or uh, maybe he's, he actually says maybe he's gone to the toilet. I think the NIV says he's gone to relieve himself. Um, and, uh, or he says that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe he's fallen asleep. You've just got to do it louder, guys. Wake him up. But here in verse 3, the psalmist reminds us that the true God never sleeps, that he's always watching over us. In verse 6, 
Um, if suffering is like the heat of the day or the cold of the night, then God is our shade, God is our shield, God is our protection. And then he wraps up the psalm by saying that the Lord will keep you from all harm, he will watch over your life, the Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and for how long? How long is, going, is God going to watch over us and protect us and care for us? He's going to watch over and protect us and care for us for? Forever. Forevermore. Now, that is a big, big claim. And uh, you can imagine, you know, the non-Christian or particularly the atheist reading that and saying, that's a shocker. I mean, that is just an amazing claim to make. Um, and uh, they would say that what we're doing is we're putting our hope, uh, that it's a false hope that we have in an illusory God. Because if it were true that God is going to watch over and protect us from now, you know, now and forever, then how come Christians get cancer? How come Christians suffer from mental and physical illness? How come Christians suffer in the ways that other people suffer? How come? Because if what this psalm is saying is true, those things shouldn't happen. <clears throat> now, how would you answer that? What, what would you say? Well, the psalmist was no fool. I mean, he knew that godly people suffer. Why do you think he wrote the psalm? Because he was suffering. Because he himself needed help. And friends, the Bible never promises that Christians will never suffer. Uh, the Bible, by the way, never promises that uh, God's will for you is that you're always healthy and wealthy and successful. Uh, people who teach such things actually rob us of our capacity to deal with suffering because these are promises that apply to the new body that we receive in the new heaven and the new earth. And uh, as we suffer in this life, we actually long for and we look forward to that day when Jesus would return. So the Bible never promises that Christians will never suffer but in our time of suffering, the psalmist reminds us of who God is. And we need to be reflecting on who God is in the midst of difficulties in life. He is the creator who knows us, who cares for us, who loves us, and who will protect us. And he'll do it forever. Now, by the way, this is why we pray. Um, this is why in Philippians 4, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Because when we're going through difficulties and struggles and troubles... We are anxious. 
We're needy of help. And what we do is we talk to the one who is all-powerful, who is all-wise, who is all-caring and all-loving and who hears our prayer. And we cast our burdens upon him. And once you've casted your burdens on the one who's got the capacity and the will to deal with your issues, then you've got no reason to be anxious. You've got no reason to keep on worrying. Uh, and that's what Paul means when he says that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus because we remain in Christ and we don't go out of Christ to try to solve our problems in an ungodly way when we hand those issues over to God, our creator. So that's just as an aside. Um, Because, you know, God is powerful, he loves us, he listens to our prayers, and then he acts. But as he acts, he may not act in the way that we would want him to act. He may not say yes to everything that we desire, There's no promise in the Bible that that would be the case. But what we are promised, and Paul says this in the passage that was read from Romans chapter 8, that in all things God works for our good. So what he will do in response to our prayers, he will give us what is good for us. And by that, it typically means that it is good for our godliness, good for our relationship with God. Now, how can we be sure of God's help? Well, the the psalmist said in verse 3 that God will not let your foot slip. And uh, there's a short passage in the New Testament that uh, deals with that. You all know it. It's Jude verse 24. And in Jude verse 24, uh, we're told this. It says, To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Saviour, be majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. So God is able to keep us from falling and he's able to present us without fault uh, on the last day because of Jesus, our Saviour. Um, I remember many years ago, it was in November 2002, there was a lady in Perth, her name was Lizette Nigo, spelled N-I-G-O-T. And uh, the reason why she was in the newspapers was because she killed herself. She was 79 years old, she was healthy, didn't have any physical problems or any issues of health and she was an atheist and because she believed that there is no God and there is no afterlife she decided to quit while she was ahead Uh, she decided to kill herself before her health started to go downhill and so the newspaper headline said healthy atheist kills herself Um, She was being consistent, wasn't she, with her beliefs. But she wasn't solving her problem because the Bible teaches that death is not the end. (laughs) 
and that uh, there is a God and that after death comes judgment. Uh, and the problem is that we're all deserving of his judgment because none of us loves and obeys God as we should. And because of that, the ultimate human problem for which we need help is that very judgment. So where do I turn to for help? Well, the atheists would have nothing to say on that score except stop worrying, try to enjoy your life and then end it before it gets too bad. But in his rich mercy, God has provided the help that we all need by sending his own son, Jesus, to die a wicked death on a cross. He has paid the penalty for our sin. And then in what really is an almighty display of amazing power, God took the corpse of Jesus and breathed life and resurrected Jesus from the dead. Now, sometimes life can be tough. And I know that in the congregation here that there are some of us who are kind of praying that 2014 might be a bit better than what we've had to go through in 2013. And there are times when we might wonder, where is God? Does he really care? But we are actually in a much better position than the psalmist was because he lived before the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We live after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And in the resurrection of Jesus, in that amazing miracle of Jesus being raised to life again, in the resurrection we see the proof of the existence of God. We see the proof that God has turned around that which we all experience, death, and has reversed that through a miracle of his power and his grace and has brought Jesus back to life again. Now, if Jesus has been resurrected from the dead, then guess what? We need to listen to what Jesus has to say about life, about death and about God. Uh, in issues, in discussions which I have with people about the existence of God, I always aim to get to the resurrection of Jesus and to ask people to deal with that issue. But secondly, in his death, God has shown the ultimate evidence of his care for us. Uh, for as Paul says in Romans 8, that if God loves us so much that he did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us, if that is how much he loves us, that God the Father was prepared to separate from God the Son in whom he had eternal fellowship and sent him to death on a cross to suffer the judgment for our sin. If that is how much God has invested in us, then friends, and he did that whilst we were sinners, how much more now that we are reconciled to him how much more that we are now friends with God in relationship with him, 
how much more having invested the life of his own son into us is he going to care for us in his loving arms? Is he going to carry us through the difficulties and the issues of life and finally bring us into his eternal rest in the heavenly reality? So there are assurances that we have. Uh, Chris Anaid, PhD in physics, 20 years doing deals on Wall Street, self-made man, atheist. Do you know what he did three years ago? He quit his job, bought himself a good camera, took up photography and uh, went and did work taking photographs of and helping um, homeless drug addicts and prostitutes in an area called the Bronx in New York, which is a bit different to Wall Street. And he wrote that what he expected to find on the streets of the Bronx was the same kind of attitude towards God and the same kind of cynicism about God that he had lived with amongst, him, amongst the bankers and the, and the brokers on Wall Street. I mean, after all, if anyone's got a right to complain to God or to reject his existence, uh, it's the people of the Bronx who suffer daily the injustice, the unfairness and the evil of the world. Um, many of them, he said, were people who were just born into a life where they were just surrounded by drugs, crime and prostitution. Talks about one lady he met whose mother was a prostitute and when she turned 13, the mother just put her out onto the streets as well and she's just lived with that all of her life. And to his surprise, though, he found many people who in their helplessness actually believed in God, loved God, were trying in their frail way to obey God and were putting their trust in Jesus. He said it was astonishing. All these people he met were people who actually had faith in God. People who, like the psalmist, had asked the question, where does my help come from? They'd looked to the hills. They'd looked for help. But they found the answer. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Chris Anaid wrote in The Guardian, which is not a publication known for promoting the gospel, but he wrote this, and I quote, he said, we are all sinners. On the streets, the addicts with their daily battles and proximity to death have come to understand this. Many successful people don't. Their sense of entitlement and emotional distance has numbed their understanding of our fallibility. And then he wrote, Soon I saw my atheism for what it is, an intellectual belief most accessible to those who have done well. Hmm. 
But friends, the loving care of God who gave up his son is accessible not just to those who've done well, but to all people. To the educated PhD in physics, to the homeless addict, the prostitute, the wealthy stockbroker, the teenager who is struggling to find identity in life, the ordinary mum and dad who are just battling to get through each day and trying to do so successfully, to the old person who's facing up to the realities of a failing body. The loving care of God is accessible to anyone. Anyone who knows their sin, who knows their, their need for help and who knows from where that help comes. The psalmist asked, where does my help come from? And so today, can I ask you that same question? Who are you trusting in? Are you trusting in yourself? Or are you trusting in your God? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great power and your loving mercy towards us. Father, we confess that there are many times when we have trusted in ourselves, when we've trusted in our own abilities and talents and we have not trusted in you. That indeed there have been times when, although we believe in you, the way we've lived has been practical atheism, for we've lived as if you do not exist. But Father, we thank you that uh, we, through your word, know from where our help comes from. We thank you, Father God, that uh, you have helped us in the most important of all human problems, and that is the problem of judgment, and that you have provided the solution in the death and the resurrection of your own son, Jesus. We thank you for the evidence, uh, not only of your existence, but of your great love for us. Father, we know and we trust that you'll keep on caring for us with your strong arms. We pray that we would be people who keep on trusting in you and trusting in your gospel. Lord, we pray for this message to uh, be spread throughout um, our whole society, that uh, by your spirit that you would uh, crush the pride of people who trust in themselves, Help them to see their fallibility, their need for you, and help us to be faithful in proclaiming the gospel into people's lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.